Chapter Thirteen of the Ghost Girl by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen Beech Hill. I saw by my driver's look when I told him where I wanted to go that he knew about the place, and after I had sized him up with a little casual talk, I blessed my stars that I had been able to get him he was a simon pure native of those parts and what he didn't know about local gossip wouldn't be worth listening to the merediths must have furnished a good part of that gossip themselves for certainly they had been a queer eccentric family for several generations a self-willed imperious high-tempered lot at the best with a little streak of insanity or near it cropping up now and then that made the worst of them very bad indeed it's good blood though as such things are reckoned in most countries they have always bred to their class but the only other member of the family in the direct line and in miss meredith's generation a younger brother of hers was an exception to the rule it seems he was artistic in his tendencies and showed a good deal of talent as a painter in an amateurish sort of way lived abroad a lot mostly in france and scandalized his family by marrying a normandy peasant girl that's the instinct of the overbred everywhere nature's way of reasserting herself this woman claire's mother must have been a perfectly glorious creature to look at certainly claire came honestly by those great masses of pale gold hair that people went so mad about i wish you could have heard my driver's attempt to describe her the upstate native isn't naturally rhapsodic and his attempts were really amusing well it seems meredith brought his wife home and the other members of the family were properly superior and indignant especially his sister and the poor young wife just withered up under it meredith himself doesn't appear to have been a very strong sort of character certainly his sister was all the man of the family she had all the business sense and as she shared equally with him in the family fortune to begin with she actually managed according to the driver's gossip to get hold of the lion's share of it meredith was killed racing an ice yacht on the river when claire was six or seven and his wife didn't survive him very long so his sister came back to beech hill and took charge of the estate and of claire she must have brought the child up under an iron rule and that sort of thing generally works badly in the end then as crow admitted to you she terrorized the rest of the family there are no end of rather distant cousins you know crow among them got fearfully bored with life and at last closed up beech hill and her town house and went off to europe that as i remember it was when claire was about fifteen miss meredith never came back to this country even for an occasional visit until about three years ago she came back alone of course and the story was that claire had died of smallpox in paris since she came back she has been dividing her time between her town house and beech hill though she hasn't done it in the ordinary way she spent a good many winter months up there all alone with crow for nobody has ever been invited to the place since she came back and of course her odd way of living has set all the gossip afire again 
i got all of that practically all of it out of the driver as a matter of fact i had to pump him about something to keep him from pumping me the story i told him was that i had been told by a new york real estate agent that the place might be for sale and i wanted to look at it i told him that in order to find out if possible if there was any intention of selling it and found out what isn't at all surprising under the circumstances that there was at least he had driven one or two other prospective purchasers out there so that made my plan rather easy when we got to the boundaries of the estate i paid his fare and sent him back telling him that i wanted to wander about outdoors a bit before i went to the house and that i'd trust to luck for means of getting back i wanted to make sure of seeing something anyway and as it turned out it was well i did before i had been wandering around the place for half an hour my desire to buy it was genuine even if my intention wasn't drew it's perfectly lovely fields lawns woods the lie of the land the glimpses you get every now and then of the river and of the distant banks it's hard to beat i tell you it was all so lovely in its first hint of spring way it almost made me forget the grim sort of errand i had come on i skirted around through the woods got myself mired and mold-stained to the knees and finally started down toward the river bank along a little path i found the path was muddy and wet for the snow couldn't have melted off earlier than the day before yet i could see that it must be lovely a little later when the green things came out but drew i hadn't more than started down that path before i began thinking about the murder again and i got a sort of hint of the reason when i saw where the path was taking me it led down to a white painted boathouse on the bank the sight of that made the sensation come back twice as strong if i was right in connecting beech hill with the tragedy if irene fournier had gone once by a different name altogether and i had made the right guess as to what that name was then the chances were that it was along this path that the body had been carried and it was here at this little landing that it had been put into the river i could even go further than that the winter had set in suddenly very soon after the body had been put into the water the spring had only just come it wasn't unreasonable to suppose that the last person before myself to come down that path and step out on the little boat landing had been the person who carried the body in his arms geoffrey i cried wasn't there some clue some real clue he shook his head with a grim laugh something that richards would have called a clue do you mean a wisp of blonde hair caught in a splinter on the gunwale of a boat or a blood-stained handkerchief or a rag of white satin caught on a thorn-bush beside the path no there was nothing like that i don't see any reason why there shouldn't have been said i there isn't any he admitted and i confess i looked for something like that but this is all i did see the boathouse is a substantially built affair on concrete piles 
the windows on both sides were fitted with solid shutters and the sliding door with a good lock to make it really difficult for a marauder to get in it needed to be for it contained a high-power motor-boat that might very well be stolen or borrowed for a joy-ride the house is built around a slip so that the boat could come into it under its own power when i saw it it was hoisted out of the water on slings for the winter how did you get in if it was as well locked up as that i said it had a lock not that it was locked as a matter of fact the sliding door was only partly shut it had got off its rollers as sliding doors will and the last person to try to shut it hadn't bothered to fix it it gaped open about eight inches it had been like that all winter too judging by the drift of half-melted snow and ice that had got inside i squeezed inside and looked around the person who had laid up the launch for the winter wasn't the one who had left in such a hurry judging by the ship-shape way he had done his job but there was another boat in there that had evidently been out since it was a small river skiff and it lay listed over on the floor of the boathouse just far enough in to clear the door though there was a pair of slings for it too the person who had dragged it in hadn't even bothered to unship the oars a thing that almost any boatman would have done from force of habit the boat had been brought in by someone who was in a hurry i think even richards would be willing to admit that but was there nothing else there was this jeffrey's eyes narrowed thoughtfully there was a long painter on the boat one end of it made fast as usual to a ring in the bow the other end had been tied around the forward thwart and then cut do you see what i mean twenty-five feet of the painter was fast to the bow-ring five feet of the same rope was still tied around the forward thwart both ends were cut clean as if they had once belonged together he gave a sort of shiver then and stopped then seeing that whatever sinister significance lay in the fact was still not apparent to me he set his teeth and explained the boat was pretty small for that sort of freight perhaps the murderer had never meant to use a boat he brought the body down and threw it in from the landing and then he saw that the current wasn't going to carry it away it was caught in an eddy perhaps so he got out the boat and rowed over to it he must tow it out into the channel he passes the painter around it under the arms perhaps his boat drifts away from it a little before he has time to make the line fast about the body he doesn't want to handle it any more than necessary so he simply makes the other end of the painter fast to the thwart the forward thwart mind you because he's got to tow backwards and pulls away out into the channel when he gets out there he tries to untie the line but cuts it instead to save time you can guess that he'd be in a panic of haste by then and rows back to the boathouse there's the picture can you see it i can see it as you describe it to me in that convincing way of yours but do you suppose richards could see it too jeffrey smiled ruefully i shouldn't even want him to a man who could see pictures like that would be much too flighty for the force there are probably a dozen hypothetical explanations of everything i found there at the boathouse that would never cover the case as well as the picture i see but i do see this one drew 
plainer than i can make you understand and i believe it's true when i went up the path again bound for the big house this time i scrutinized it pretty closely i suppose sherlock holmes would have found no end of clues and by the time he'd reached the veranda of the house would have been able to tell the whole story of the crime just where everybody had gone and how fast they walked and whether they were right or left-handed and whether their shirts were custom-made or not but i didn't find anything except here and there a pair of wheel tracks they were narrow gauge no wider than a child's express wagon but the wheels themselves were broad nearly two inches i should say in some of the shady parts of the path where the ground was still frozen hard the tracks were there frozen in so i knew they must have been made before the freeze at the end of ten minutes walking the path bent around over the crest of a little ridge and gave me my first view of the house i stopped a minute and looked it over it was a rather rambling structure composed roughly of a series of l's jutting out to catch the southwest breeze on one side and to give the windows and terraces on the other a view of the river the architecture was a little too good to be true in other words it had been made into something a little more strictly colonial than anything they really built in the colonial days it looked rather desolate and austere as such a place is likely to look when it isn't occupied by enough people to keep it tolerably full it wasn't boarded up though and that was a relief because i had fully determined to break in if there were no other way of accomplishing my purpose but as long as there was a caretaker there the purpose would be vastly easier of accomplishment the path i had been following converged now into a brick-laid walk which curved about through the shrubbery and led not to the porticoed main entrance but to a smaller doorway at the head of a flight of brick steps the steps led also to a brick-paved pergola evidently meant in the summer-time to have a gay striped awning stretched over it just now it was basking warmly in the march sun i went up to the door and rapped lightly with a genuine old colonial knocker which i found there instead of a bell i hadn't planned what i should say to the person who opened the door because it seemed better somehow to trust to the inspiration of the moment so much would depend on what sort of person the caretaker happened to be it was lucky i hadn't any very fixed idea no little explanatory speech committed to memory if i had such a thing on the tip of my tongue i'd have been a good deal worse disconcerted than i was the knocker was pulled out of my hand by the door being briskly opened by someone whose hand must have been on the knob when i started to knock someone in the act of coming out there in the passage very erect and self-possessed blinking a little in the sudden flood of sunshine that came in when the door opened stood whom do you suppose drew the last person i expected to find there miss meredith herself she's one of the most wonderful-looking old ladies i ever saw in my life beautiful what we mean when we say regal vigorous wonderfully vitalized she didn't start at all at the sight of me just looked at me a minute in a perfectly composed sort of way and asked what i wanted 
at the sound of her voice i heard someone moving behind her in the passage and made out over her shoulder someone whom i took to be a maid or sort of companion loaded down with rugs and cushions my name's jeffrey i said for it was somehow out of the question to try any pretense with a person like that though i didn't know what sort of reception my name would get but her face lighted up at it as if she were genuinely pleased and she held out her hand to me at last she said i was beginning to think you were a myth she nodded toward a couple of big chairs in the pergola and added i was just going out for a doze in the warm sun but a chat with you will be much better then she turned back and spoke to the woman in the passage will you please bring an extra rug miss martin this momentary delay gave me my story i wrote to dr crow said i asking for permission to see you and he told me you'd received me to-day i thought i saw just a flicker of surprise go over her face at that but it didn't show much more than she meant it to and all she said was dr crow is a very competent young man the woman she called miss martin came up just then and began bundling her up in rugs and packing in cushions about her but though she was busily occupied with miss meredith all the time i couldn't help feeling that she was regarding me with a certain uneasiness and mistrust miss meredith insisted on my having one of the rugs and then sent miss martin into the house telling her she shouldn't need her for an hour i thought the woman went away reluctantly well we chatted for a few minutes about the beauty of the day and the pleasure of getting out into the country for the early spring and i admitted that i had got myself pretty well mired up trespassing in her woods she seemed to take that absolutely as a matter of course and didn't show the slightest curiosity about where i had been though i said i had been looking at the river from the boat landing then all at once she reverted to what she had said before about beginning to think that i was a myth drew she had thought all along that my not seeing her had been my own doing she'd wanted to see me she said but crow had made me out a sort of hermit who didn't see anybody if he could help it how he reconciled a statement like that with the fact that i am a portrait painter i don't know she was perfectly frank in her curiosity about me as an autocratic old lady like that is likely to be and kept me talking about myself for a solid hour asked innumerable questions about how i paint where i live about my life abroad and so on at the end of the hour miss martin appeared again miss meredith got up a little reluctantly you'll stay to lunch won't you she said i haven't had as pleasant a morning in a long time i hope you're not in a hurry to get back to new york of course i said i'd stay with the greatest pleasure she gave me an informal nod and started toward the door miss martin will take charge of you till lunch-time she said i dare say you will want to freshen up a bit after your tramp through the woods we'll lunch at one and with that she walked into the house i waited a minute for miss martin to follow her and lead the way for me but instead of that she stood right where she was apparently making up her mind to say something it was then i took my first good look at her she was a tall rather lean young woman 
unmistakably well-bred with a severe profile and a rather tight way of doing her hair she stood there confronting me a little embarrassed but perfectly resolute i had unconsciously moved a little toward the door and she was standing beside one of the pillars she stepped into the doorway and stood confronting me i'm very sorry she said to be obliged to countermand miss meredith's invitation countermand it said i i am miss meredith's nurse she said i am under the doctor's explicit instructions i haven't any discretion at all in the matter i must ask you to go away mr jeffrey at once those are dr crow's instructions i asked she didn't answer that question at all just stood there looking at me and said again at once her manner as well as her words made it perfectly clear that i shouldn't get into that door except by brute force the thing was so utterly unexpected and in the light of the deception crow had practised toward me with miss meredith so sinister that i was very loath to accept the situation just at that second as i was preparing to turn away i started again and all but duplicated my yell in the stateroom the night before because something soft and alive dropped from the pillar over my head upon my shoulder i clutched at it and found i had in my hand what do you suppose drew the same fluffy little baby raccoon that had tried to pull my eyelid up the night before the nurse smiled a pleasant sort of smile and rescued the thing from my hand i'm sorry she said that's miss meredith's newest pet he's quite harmless but i'm afraid rather disconcerting that's his second adventure within the last twenty-four hours end of chapter thirteen